Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. It's our first live show of the season, and ask anything, and a chance for you to meet all the Prairie Docks. Meet the Prairie Docks and ask anything, tonight, on call with the Prairie Dock. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Dock. This episode begins our 19th season and sadly, our first without the original Prairie Doc, Dr. Rick Holm. We will work hard to live up to the quality and sincerity that you have come to expect from this program. Let's begin with a look at this week's Prairie Doc quiz question. It is a multiple choice tonight. How many years of experience do the four Prairie Docs have among them? A, 44, B, 59, C, 27, D, 71. Viewers who call in with the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a signed copy of the book, The Picture of Health. Each of Dr. Holmes' essays, originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc, comes with a wonderful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson. We will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. Remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about, well, anything as they are called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. Joining us tonight in studio is Dr. Kelly Evans-Hollinger. Remotely via Zoom is Dr. Deb Johnston and remotely via Skype is Dr. Andrew Ellsworth. Welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to have all four of us Prairie Docs on uh, the show all at once. Together, right? T together, <laughs> virtually. Together apart, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, do you guys want to give a quick uh, introduction, background, who you are, uh, where you are, where you're from? I'll start yeah. with you, Kelly. Sure. So um, I'm from Brookings originally, born here at the Brookings Hospital. Um, I've been back practicing internal medicine here now for four years with the Vera Medical Group and my fine colleagues. Um, and I, one of my first experiences with Dr. Holm is when I, I shadowed before I went to medical school and I showed up for expecting to go to clinic and he dragged me to the radio show. So I've, I was exposed early to Prairie Doc, um, really excited to be a part of it and carry on um, the, all, the program that we love for the guy that we all loved very much. All right, excellent. Looks like you're up, Deb. Why don't you uh, tell us as the, the matriarch of the group? Well, that's a nice way of saying the old person there, Jill. I appreciate <laughs> that. So I have been in Brookings since uh, 96. I did my last two years of residency here in Brookings. South Dakota had what was at the time a rather brief-lived experiment in a rural training track, and I was part of that. I'm originally from Iowa, a small town near Waterloo, Cedar Falls, and went to medical school at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, and have been in South Dakota ever since. All right, Andrew, we'll see if we can bring you up and 
tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, been here yes. in Brookings for eight years now. Uh, actually, today's my work anniversary, September 10th. And uh, before then, um, I was in Boise, Idaho for residency for family medicine for four years. And before that, four years of medical school at University of South Dakota down in Vermilion and Sioux Falls. And then uh, uh, Augustana College before that uh, in Sioux Falls. And I'm originally from Madison, South Dakota. And uh, I've got my lovely wife and two children as well. All right, and then I guess that just leaves me. I'm Jill Cruz, family medicine uh, physician. I was born and raised in Inwood, Iowa, so just across the uh, border uh, by Canton. Went to undergrad at Augustana, so I too am an Augie Doggie. And then uh, came up here to SDSU, got my master's in microbiology, and then went on to medical school in Des Moines at Des Moines University College of Osteopathic Medicine. So I am the token DO on the show. So I can answer your musculoskeletal questions here. And then I went on to residency at University of Wisconsin uh, Baraboo's program, Rural Training Track, and practiced rural medicine in Tyndall, South Dakota for five years, and then have been here in Brookings for the last seven with my uh, husband and two children. So it's, it's been a great uh, time. And yeah, I think uh, Dr. Holm grabbed me about my first week here asking me to be on the show, so. <laughs> he was good at that. He is very good at finding people to uh, come and support his mission, so here we are. I used to tell people uh, when they would join the clinic that they had to practice saying no Dr. Holm because he was always so good at, at dragging people to the radio show or the TV show, and whether you were really comfortable with that or not, Rick was... Uh, was pretty good at making sure everybody kind of got out there. He thought it was such a joy. He thought it was everybody would love doing it because he loved doing it so much. So, mm -hmm. but here we are. So I guess we liked it okay. We must have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he was always so grateful and gracious. And so even if you did felt that you did terrible, he complimented you and, and thanked you and you, you mm -hmm. felt like, oh shucks, it was, it was an honor to help, so. <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like we have our first question here. A woman from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, would like to know if certain medications can create swallowing problems. That's a very good question, mm -hmm. and, and a very common one that I hear is people talking about difficulties with swallowing, especially like swallowing pills. Um, I mean, it doesn't um, mm -hmm. really specify well, here, but... Dry mouth is one of the most common side effects from many, many different kinds of medications. And I could understand how that could cause uh, trouble swallowing for some people. I think that'd be the easiest explanation for that one, I'd say. Yeah, the, a more severe example would be something like angioedema, which wouldn't be just trouble swallowing, but actually swelling of the mouth, the tongue, the throat, um, which I think you would pick up on a little mm -hmm. pretty quickly. It probably wouldn't be something that went on for a long time. But yeah, dry mouth is a very common medication side effect and kind of hard yes. to pick out the one medicine that might be the cause in a lot of patients. Because mm -hmm, there can be lots of medications mm -hmm. that can do that. Um, probably most noticeably would be uh, the ones for overactive bladder because yeah. that one can cause lots of dry eyes, dry mouth, constipation. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, nothing was without... Uh, side effects so yeah you know sometimes you have to say take the good with the bad and, and see you know what's what's the more important uh, or more bothersome issue yeah. 
And you know, trouble swallowing is is not as specific a complaint as it might sound like. That could reflect a number of different things. Um, it could reflect an actual problem in the esophagus or the stomach. It could reflect a problem with the muscles that, that the esophagus relies on. So it's something that would have to be teased out. It could be a medicine a side effect, but if you're really having trouble swallowing, it might be something else and definitely worth seeing your doctor and talking to them about. Yes, definitely. I've seen people where they, they can get kind of I a might tightening. Add that it Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> I, yeah, I might add that it, it certainly could be related with uh, heartburn or reflux or irritation down in the esophagus or the throat, and and uh, and that an acid medication might be helpful, but it might be even more important to to take a look to make sure there's not something wrong going in there, uh, which which could be a. a a stricture or, or where, where where there's uh, damage that's happened uh, or uh, maybe something that's precancerous or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of different ways uh, and depending on what the symptoms are, how severe they are, when they're happening, you know, talking to an ear, nose and throat doctor, um, sometimes we talk to GI doctors, sometimes we talk to general surgeons, um, there's different types of swallow studies we can do where we're looking, you know, with have you drink uh, diluted barium and and watching the esophagus and see how it uh, constricts and moves when you're swallowing versus looking down with an actual uh, camera called an EGD. So lots of different uh, ways to investigate and again, just asking, finding a doctor to ask the right questions to tease out which path we look down. So Mm -hmm. yeah, very good question. All right, next question here. A 70-year-old gentleman from Rapid City has arthritis in his joints and fingers. He stretches them out and exercises them every morning. He would like to know what his prognosis looks like and if exercising helps with arthritis. Exercise is a great component of treatment for arthritis. Um, No matter which joints are involved, uh, staying active is an important part of keeping those joints useful. So physical therapy sometimes can be extremely helpful in kind of designing an exercise program to target the joints and to to target the muscles, to keep the muscles strong, to support those joints. Uh, Saying what your prognosis is is a little more difficult because there's different types of arthritis um, and they tend to have different treatments that you need to do and different outcomes that people can have. So there's a lot of different treatments. Uh, Some of them have more side effects than others, but staying active is extremely important. So I really give this individual high marks for doing that. I would agree. I One thing that is now pretty readily available um, that I often will recommend for hand arthritis is something called topical diclofenac, mm-hmm. and it's available over the counter now, which is pretty new. Yes. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory, and you know, for most of my 70, did you say the patient was 71 or the caller 70, was 70? Yep. Um, I, I almost, it's pretty rare that I would recommend a pill anti-inflammatory in that age group just because they can have problems and side effects but the topical versions really don't. It's kind of just a stronger cream. And with those shallow hand joints, I would say it's effective in a high percentage of people. So that might be worth a try too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's over the counter now is yeah. huge. When it was prescription only, it was incredibly expensive. Yeah, yeah, so it should be pretty available. Yes, excellent. And it, 
it was also very difficult to get insurance to approve. I absolutely love topical diclofenac. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I still am a little careful with people that have kidney issues or hypertension. I mean, it doesn't have nearly the same systemic side effects that the oral anti-inflammatories do, but it's, it's not out of the question. I also, with hand arthritis, will sometimes recommend paraffin baths. Yeah. That mm -hmm. can be a useful pain control measure too. Definitely can kind of warm up those fingers and joints. So, excellent. All right. So there's another one. A woman from Mobridge, South Dakota, would like to know if she can donate blood if she's currently on warfarin, which is a, a blood thinner. Uh, other name for that is Coumadin, um, that people use to prevent blood clots. So, any ideas on that one? I guess that's a question I've never been asked. Yeah, I guess I I don't actually know. Does anyone know I, I don't know either. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. It's not that difficult a question. It seems like one that we ought to know the answer to. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's one that I would ask the blood bank yeah. on. I would be inclined to think that um, that maybe they wouldn't want that blood because of the possibility that the drug would linger and, and potentially affect the person that's getting that blood. But it would definitely be a question to ask the blood bank. Yeah. Yeah, it, it may be acceptable. I mean, they they pack the red blood cells, so it may not matter. So, mm -hmm. but I, I genuinely don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. I know some of the newer agents, such as Eliquis, I know you can't, but I don't know about Coumadin. It's a different mm -hmm. mechanism of action with those. So, that is a very very good question. But yes, the, the blood um, bank would know. Asking the blood yeah. bank would know. The American Red Cross would definitely have mm -hmm. the correct answer for that. So this caller wins the prize for stumping the the prairie docs. <laughs> In, in general, I would say uh, try to avoid bleeding uh, or probably avoid donating blood if you're on uh, blood thinning medications, which are anticoagulant medications. Uh, sometimes it's a misnomer when we call them blood thinners. We're not thinning your blood. We're not making someone anemic. We're just making them less likely to have a clot. Mm -hmm. um, and so then if you are bleeding, then it might be harder to bleed, to, to stop the bleeding and, you know, it helps to hold pressure. But uh, in general, I don't think they encourage them to donate blood. Yeah, so, all right. Well, speaking of arthritis, uh, it's good to be reminded of the benefits of walking and how one simple exercise can improve your health. Prairie Doc reporter Tori Burnt discussed why walking is so important to Joni Holm and her family. First benefit that of walking I think of is uh, um, bone strengthening. I have a family history of some weak bones. My mother and my grandmother both broke hips. Uh, my bone density has stayed pretty good, but I've always exercised, so mm -hmm. I main, hope to maintain that bone strength by continuing walking. Some ask about the differences between running and walking. Well, they exercise your heart in different ways. Running actually will burn more calories, obviously, in, mm -hmm. in a quicker time frame. Uh, I think that in the big picture, they're fairly equivalent in what they can do for you. Um, you're probably going to have a stronger heart with the running because you're, you're pumping the heart faster. You know, we got to think about our heart being a muscle that we've got to take care of. And uh, so if we just sit all the time, we're not working that heart. So getting out and exercising, walking, running, we're working our heart and making that muscle stronger. Joni's late husband, Dr. Rick Holm, stressed walking a mile a day. This goal was big in his practice and his time on the show. 
Making that uh, goal of a mile a day does in stretch your length of exercise out. And so if you're looking at it getting to be that 20, 30 minutes, that's kind of what you're looking at for a minimum. So a goal is just a way to, uh, or a mile is a way to think about getting about 30 minutes a day. Getting the motivation to go out for a daily walk can be daunting, especially in cold weather. But having a walking buddy such as a dog can help. It's always great to have an incentive to go out. Sasha's an older dog, so she's not doesn't walk very far fast, but depending on what kind of dog you have, you might increase your exercise by getting your dog out. You know, a fun way to walk is by listening to a podcast. Um, and there's a million of them, so just, you know, get your phone and find your podcast, put some earphones on, and go out and walk and uh, for instance I listen to one called the daily and it's only about 15 to 18 minutes so it's a really easy one to catch and get you know just if you're gonna walk that much just I'm gonna walk through the daily and it's a news program so it catches you up on things during the day now healing words foundation and on call with the prairie doc is just starting a podcast so it will be a great way to listen to the show if you're not able to watch or if you prefer to get your your news your information on a podcast you can do it while you're walking versus holding still in front of the tv now i do say when you're watching that show march in place mm -hmm. Grab some cans and do some some weights. Um, you know we need to be proactive in in if we're walk the walk instead of just talk about health. Do it. Joni made a good point about not just sitting in front of the TV while watching this or other shows. If you're able, you can march in place or use some soup cans as weight. Anyone else have additional suggestions about uh, getting a little exercise in even when you're watching TV? Yeah, I talked to a lot of patients about this very issue and I, I have a lot of patients who maybe they have a lower extremity arthritis or um, obesity that it limits their ability to go take a walk for 30 minutes. Because yeah, if we're talking about starting exercise, walking is a great place to start. Uh, that's an uh, easy place to, to help people start tackling exercise. But I have some patients that just aren't able to really do that walking. Mm -hmm. And so I love the, the suggestion of um, chair exercise and, and sort of timing it based on the television and maybe you march your legs from your chair or do you know anything with your arms movement is good and 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 sometimes people just need to start moving yeah mm -hmm. i back before there was tivos and and streaming television i always tell people get up and do something during during the commercials you're right. not watching them anyway mm -hmm. you know as long as it's not going to the fridge to get more junk food you know get up walk do something stretch mm -hmm. during a commercial now you can hit skip and the commercial's done yeah. so that's aging that's yeah. yet again i think <laughs> yes i know <laughs> my advice is no longer current <laughs> So, all right, well, here's a very good question. Gentleman on Facebook asked, is vaping better than cigarettes? 
That was something that I think when vaping first came out, everyone was touting that, you know, there's not the tar, there's there's mm -hmm. not the, you know, nothing's burning. So is that safer and better? Yeah. I mean, I think the short answer is we still don't know, right? And, um, you know, I think it scared everyone appropriately to have the this big, um, these cells pop up of uh, cases of vaping-induced lung injury okay. that happened mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, but we don't know long-term effects. It hasn't been around long enough. So I'm not confident telling patients that I think vaping is safe. I try to, you know, if they've transitioned to vaping, try to take it as a win that they're past the cigarettes, but really try to focus on being able to quit it altogether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, all the chemicals for sure that are in the vaping substances. Meanwhile, once they're heated up or, or and used, what new chemicals are created, especially if you add flavors and everything else. So that's where it became more of a problem too, I'd say. Yeah. And I think the other uh, concern is a lot of them are in, in some sort of oil and now you're aerosolizing this oil and inhaling that. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're getting the damage to the lungs because your body's not intended to get those vaporized oil. Right. And my understanding products. is that yeah. that what you inhale from a vaping product is actually quite a lot hotter than what is inhaled from a burning cigarette too. So they, it makes the particles smaller, which means the particles can go further down into your lungs. So there's theory that, that there may be dangers with it mm -hmm. to the lungs. No. That's not an excuse to go back to cigarettes, though. <laughs> no. That's an excuse to pick up some Nicorette gum or get some nicotine patches yeah. and work on actually quitting. Call the South Dakota Quit Line. They're a fabulous resource. Yep. It's free. You know, please use, use the resources available. So, yep. yep. Excellent. Next question. Are there any doctors familiar with whole food plant-based diets as a means of helping people heal rather than using medication? I would say that I haven't had specific training in that, but Deb looks like she is eager to <laughs> well, chime in. You know, that's a, a, a great topic. And um, my husband is actually a vegetarian, so we do an awful lot of whole food, plant-based um, eating in my house. I will say that uh, you know a healthy diet is really important and a healthy diet is important for treatment of a lot of different diseases. You look at diabetes, you look at hypertension, you look at heart disease. I mean, these are all things where dietary changes is, are fundamental to uh, treating the illness. I do not think that diet in and of itself is always sufficient. Um, it is a, a bedrock, but a lot of times you actually need medication with that too. You can't treat and make your cancer go away by, by changing your diet. You can't necessarily make your rheumatoid arthritis go away. There certainly are dietary things that can be helpful in treating those things, but it's not a replacement for traditional medicine. Yeah, and I think thinking about diet as a real help, helper in preventing the diseases that you were just talking about, Deb, those metabolic diseases, vascular disease and diabetes, you know, if we, we really, the, the best place for healthy diet is in our young people and really instilling healthy diet um, to try and prevent those things long-term um, as opposed to thinking of it as a, as a curative. Mm -hmm. And a lot going back to gastroesophageal reflux disease, which is so common and, and can cause so many issues too, that's certainly one where if you are able to change your diet 
and cut down on alcohol and tobacco mm -hmm. and caffeine and large meals and spicy foods and lose weight. And, and the, once again, as you said, Deb, the, the diet being the bedrock of that, we very well could avoid medication, certainly in that mm -hmm. uh, instance. But, uh, uh, you know, it just it is so important to have a healthy diet and exercise. Excellent. So here's a question. Uh, again, this one might stump us all. A man from Sioux Falls had heard reports of a discovery of COVID-20 and was wondering if we could discuss it and if it's different than COVID-19. I guess I have not heard of a COVID-20. I haven't either. Um, yeah, I, I think COVID-19 got its name because it originated in the year 2019. Um, but no, I, I don't have any knowledge of that. Nope. I I have not I would heard be anything. I would be suspicious about um, a press release about that if we if it weren't more widely known, I guess. Yes. So. All right. Another COVID related question. A gentleman said as a result of uh, their COVID infection, uh, they said that their adrenal glands were not working. If there was any kind of treatment for that condition. So I, you know, I'm not aware of actual reports. I'm not saying it's not possible of, of true post viral adrenal insufficiency related to this particular virus. What I will say, I think we've all seen a number of times, um, and this could be true with other viral illnesses too, is just a real post-infectious fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's how it may have been explained to this person that it had to do with the adrenal glands. Adrenal dysfunction is a very specific um, illness and takes very specific testing to diagnose. Um, it, specifically testing of where they take your cortisol levels, right away in the morning and then after injecting a substance 30 and 60 minutes. So it's not an easy thing to diagnose mm -hmm. true adrenal insufficiency. Um, if it's an issue of post-infectious fatigue, that could be pretty unpredictable. Um, and I, I would say as far as treatment, you know, it's, it's resting as long as you need to rest, but then probably trying to get back to exercise and a good sleep schedule is gonna be very important for someone with fatigue after having a virus like COVID-19 um, and really focusing on all the healthy lifestyle things that you have in your control. I also think it's really a couple of things that I think of when I hear this is, could this be an individual who had some underlying adrenal insufficiency to start with mm -hmm. and possibly the stress of the illness with COVID-19 brought that to the fore? Um, the other thing that I think is really important to point out in this is that COVID-19 is a new disease and we don't know a lot about the potential yeah. long-term mm -hmm. side effects and the spectrum of illness that we see. So. It's, it's something that we need to take very seriously. And I would encourage this individual to really talk with their primary physician um, exactly what does that mean that they have adrenal issues afterwards. Yeah. Because, you know, the answer is if it is truly adrenal insufficiency, if the testing is abnormal, then yes, there is a treatment and it's giving you certain types of steroids at certain times of the day. And, and you can feel normal for people who have adrenal insufficiency. You just and need to get your steroids from a pill instead of from your adrenal glands. Yep. And it's really important to know that because under certain circumstances, you really do need to have dose adjustments with that mm -hmm. if you're sick. I mean, it, it's a potentially, it's a very controllable, treatable, treatable disease, but it's a very serious disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So very, very thoughtful questions. Mm -hmm. I'm loving to ask anything because it's, 
Yeah, it keeps us on our toes, and there's always so many different topics. We're jumping from every specialty, it's which my is my favorite format. Yep, that, that's <laughs> that's why we're family medicine because we got bored easily with just being on one topic for the rest of our lives. We had to, we wanted to know about all of them. So here we are. All right. Well, we'll go here now. Dr. Kenneth Bartholomew, uh, another family physician and peer who is also on the Healing Words Foundation Board of Directors, is about to start on a long journey down the Missouri River, but he needs your help. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt found out why he is embarking on this venture. Drink in this colorful sunset over the Missouri River. Dr. Kenneth Bartholomew will see views like this as he takes on a new adventure to support the Healing Words Foundation. We wanted to get the word out that we are funded by donations, and I just thought it would be kind of a challenge to challenge the viewers to support me in a kayak trip. If I um, kayak every mile of the Missouri River from the North Dakota border to the Nebraska border in the next year, or they would support so many pennies per mile or dollars per mile. The donations will help carry on the educational work of the Prairie Doc Media Projects, including TV, radio, and web resources. Bartholomew will start the challenge September 17th. Well, I've been kayaking ever since uh, medical school. I went to school out in Utah, and we would do big whitewater out there in, in whitewater kayaks. And now, since I'm a flatlander, I bought some good touring kayaks with waterproof holds and spray skirts and the whole work. So we can take a, a week's worth of supplies and food with us and camp on the beach and eat freeze-dried food. The trip will be done in 50-mile legs down the Missouri River. He hopes to have the challenge completed by fall of 2021. Bartholomew, who has been diagnosed with both prostate and colon cancer, encourages people to get out and stay active, even if they have health problems. I firmly believe that if you're in good shape when you go into surgery, you're gonna come out of surgery and rehab much better afterwards. And that's proven over and over in studies. And when he sets up camp on the banks of the 411 mile journey down the Missouri, he plans to unwind and turn to something he enjoys doing, writing. It's just great to get out there and get off the grid. You shut off your cell phone, you put it in a watertight compartment and you leave it there and no interruptions no texts and no emails just yeah. mother nature and you Oh, beautiful sunsets on those pictures. Oh, I think South Dakota has the prettiest sunsets. So. It makes sense that the healthier you are going into surgery, the better the outcome. Do you guys have any stories or anecdotes about uh, how healthier patients uh, did after surgery as composed to those who were not quite as fit going in? I mean, I think that's true across the board. I think it's easy to come up with anecdotes of that. Um, and, and we know that certain conditions place people at higher risk of post-operative complications. Um, and so the better health that you're in, you know, the, the, your whole life before you have an adverse problem that, that causes you to need a surgery or a, an aggressive treatment, the more likely you are to have a good outcome from that. Yeah. 
right. Deb, think you had something to share? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at diabetes, if that's under poor control, you're at much higher risk for post-operative complications. Um, high blood pressure, it, those things can put you at higher risk for strokes and heart attacks. I always really like to have people as fit and strong as possible, particularly before orthopedic surgery. Mm -hmm. I think you rehab better after you get your knee replacement or your hip replacement if you've been active and exercising ahead of time. Well, speaking of diabetes here, a 77-year-old woman from Sioux Falls would like to know if it ever gets to the point where diabetes cannot be controlled. Is, is there kind of this, it, it's too late, we can't do anything about it? I would say the answer to that is no. Um, there are certainly just individual patients that for whatever reason, it is more challenging to control their diabetes. And I don't think we fully understand the wide spectrum of what we maybe would say the heterogeneity of type two diabetes, especially, you know, some patients are very simple and some people are harder, but the answer is no. I mean, they, they may just need more more medications, more insulin, more lifestyle adjustment. But, um, but no, I don't think there's, a, there's not an untreatable diabetes. No. That's an exciting uh, advancement that, that's occurring. You're seeing more and more continuous glucose monitors where yeah. people can mm -hmm. wear a sensor and they can just take their smartphone and put it up there and they know exactly uh, what their blood sugar is. And, and meanwhile, they likely have an insulin pump in, in that situation that will automatically change the insulin that they need based off of their, their current blood sugar numbers that's always being monitored for them. And so um, the advancements that are being made in the technology uh, with, with diabetes has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's nice or important to know that diabetes isn't just one thing that went wrong. There's over 20 different areas in the body where something is changed with diabetes. So that's why there's so many different medications because we're trying to attack the problem at 20 different areas and you can't have one pill that's going to adjust it. It's not just the pancreas doesn't make enough insulin or it makes either not enough insulin or the insulin doesn't work well, the insulin doesn't attach well to the cells. I mean, there's there's so many different, it's such a complex it is. disease process. Yeah, and I, the bottom line is to keep to certainly keep trying and sometimes try new things. I, you know, I, I love, so in our clinic, we have a clinical pharmacist that works with us and um, I, my office is serendipitously right next door to her. So I, I get her help with a lot of diabetes patients. The one thing, you know, sometimes it, you know, when you, you're not getting diabetes under control, both as the patient and as the physician, sometimes it can feel frustrating, mm -hmm. especially if you feel like you're, you're doing everything that you're told as a patient. Sometimes it just takes a fresh look, step back, think what have we not done? What could we do differently? Um, but but the, those there are a lot of treatments available now. We have a lot of choice in the matter. And sometimes it just takes a lot of TLC and a lot of checking in. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And, and that's, you know, we know patients sometimes have just more challenging uh, ability to control. It's not that they're bad or that no, they're, you just, know, just how, what their makeup it, is their for whatever reason. Their body is mm -hmm. not agreeing with the medications and we need to keep working until we find a combination that works well for them. So. Yeah. Yep. All right. A 63-year-old uh, 
person here who has MS would like to know why they are so stiff at night but seem to be fine during the day. They can hardly move or turn in bed, but once they get up, they're fine. With MS, you said? That's yes. interesting. It may have to do with the disease process and maybe the treatment. It may depend on the pharmacologics of their therapy could be contributing. Mm -hmm. um, it, that's an interesting uh, difference. So it sounds like they're better after rest and when they're fatigued, they're worse, which mm -hmm. you know is opposite from, from some people who have stiffness and pain like inflammatory arthritis and such mm -hmm. typically are classically are worse in the morning. So I yeah. wonder if it does have to do with the, the disease and the, the drugs that they're on and, and how those work. But or if it's, it's starting to, their morning pills are starting to wear off right. at night while they're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, mm -hmm. worth talking to their neurologist. I presume they have a neurologist about that. I would assume. Mm. All right, next question. What are your thoughts on taking 10 milligrams of paroxetine for anxiety? I'm gonna, ask Dr. Johnson, since I know she is our resident expert on antidepressants and anxiety. So they specifically wanted to know, is it effective? Are there side effects? You know, what sort of things do they need to know about paroxetine? Paroxetine is, is a reasonable option. Paroxetine is uh, the generic name for a medication called Paxil. It's in the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor family, uh, which is containing medications like sertraline or Zoloft, fluoxetine or Prozac, citalopram or Celexa. So it's, it's probably our first line therapy for anxiety disorders. A lot of people will historically have been on things like Xanax or Ativan or Lorazepam, uh, those things that we call the benzodiazepines. And we've really moved away from using those as first line therapy. They're kind of a, a very rarely used situational medication. Sometimes the psychiatrist will have people on them more regularly, but for us primary care people, those uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are, are our first line, our first choices often. Um, paroxetine is a very reasonable choice. Uh, typically with any of these medications, when you treat anxiety, you often need a little higher doses than you do when you're treating depression. Um, you know, we all have our favorite medications. I'm not a huge paroxetine fan for two reasons. Number one, there tends to be a lot of weight gain associated with paroxetine more than with some of the other SSRIs. The second reason is that it has a really short half-life. So a lot of times when people are on this particular medication, if they go away for a weekend and forget their pills, they'll really feel very poorly as they wash out of that. Sometimes that's useful because it helps people remember to take their medicines, um, but sometimes it's not so useful. So personally, I tend to use a lot more sertraline, fluoxetine, citalopram, um, but it, you know, it, it is a very reasonable choice. Excellent. I couldn't say it better myself. So, all right. A woman from Sioux Falls would like to know if there's any treatment for familial tremor of the hands. And this is something I have to look forward to in my future, thanks to my father. So, and my grandmother. And, and I remember watching, yes, aunts and uncles on that side of the family all have this issue. So I'm waiting for that to happen to me. It hasn't yet, but uh, those uh, familial tremors, it kind of runs in the family. It's a benign tremor tends to happen when um, you're doing something. So, you know, just here is fine, but as soon as you pick it up, that coffee cup is wiggling. So, Andrew? I can chime in on this Yes, one. please yeah, do. Sure. 
<laughs> uh, so a lot of the first line, if you want to do a medication to, to treat that, you wouldn't have to if it's not bothering you too much. It's not harmful. It's not something you need to necessarily worry about other than it being uh, uh, bothersome. Um, but if it does bother you enough, uh, a beta blocker medication uh, like propranolol is often uh, a first line option. It's the same family that's also used in some heart conditions, especially like high blood pressure or high blood pressure. If someone's had a heart attack, uh, they are probably on a beta blocker. Um, but uh, I, that can be helpful. The propranolol, you might need to take it two or three times a day. Um, and, uh, and that can help uh, decrease the tremor some. There's some other medications that can be helpful as well. Unfortunately, there's nothing to, to cure it. One thing that I'd like to pop in here and say, you know, we've we've said a couple times with this benign and, you know, when doctors say benign, it doesn't mean that it doesn't cause a lot of problems for the patient. Either it's embarrassing or it's uncomfortable or it interferes with your daily life. What we mean when we say benign is, hey, this isn't going to kill you. Fair enough. Yes, that, that is, that is, and, and I can say from watching personal experience, it does, it definitely affects, you know, it makes people afraid or embarrassed to drink coffee at church or to, you know, be carrying, you know, soups or, or things. It is that, it does impact life. So definitely talk to your doctor about it so we can do something. Um, next question is, what are your thoughts on telemedicine and do you recommend using these services? So this was something that uh, with COVID-19, a lot of us suddenly got yeah. into uh, sometime for the first time for many of yeah. us. And uh, it definitely is a different way of interacting uh, between patients and doctors. Mm -hmm. And I think it has some wonderful uses and it also has some shortcomings. Yeah. Um, definitely with telemedicine, you can't do a physical exam. So I can't listen to your lungs. I, ca I can't touch the sore muscle or the joint. I can't feel the swelling. Um, but definitely I, I can talk. I can still talk to you and, and um, it's often been said, if you let the patient talk, they will tell you exactly what's wrong mm -hmm. and, and our job is to listen. So I think yeah. it, it forces you to really listen uh, to the patient. So mm -hmm. other comments or additions to that? I would say I, I am now, again, yeah, we had never really used this until suddenly we weren't able to see patients in clinic for a time um, as normal and, and we we're kind of forced into it, but probably it's a good thing because now we have another tool. Um, I, I have found that it's great for things like following up mood and anxiety disorders because really when we're seeing patients like that, it's all about their self-reported symptoms. We can get pretty much everything we need to get um, from that encounter. And then we've used it a little bit more sort of in, in what you might say a triage situation. You know, tell me the story um, if you're not comfortable coming in. Sometimes we, we can hear the story and be pretty reassuring. Sometimes we'd say, eh, I think you need to come in and we need to actually be able to touch you and listen to you. And, and so it can be used as a tool that way too. That's, that's a little deeper than a phone call perhaps. But I think it's it's such a wonderful thing that uh, various types of specialists can now help mm -hmm. people in rural areas. And, and that's certainly uh, been uh, expedited and used a lot more than it ever used to be. And, and, and that's a great service for the entire state. And uh, and thankfully, we're in our area here, we're uh, leading the nation, really, in our yeah. capabilities of doing telehealth. And uh, and that's been a wonderful program. Yeah. 
And our, our specialists have been doing this for quite a long time too. I mean, that's not necessarily new for them to do telehealth to rural communities for a lot of these specialties. So, yes. mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, critical access hospitals utilize, Avera has uh, their e-care service line, uh, e-emergency, mm -hmm. EICU, um, where you have some, a specialist at the what they call the hub, and then they've got a series of live two-way video cameras where you can talk. So when I was working in Tyndall at a critical access hospital, one time I had a trauma come in. There was a car accident and there was seven people in the van. Mm -hmm and there's only one doctor, just me. Yeah. And so the e-emergency could help uh, dispatch the helicopter, talk me through putting in a chest tube, which I hadn't done since residency, mm -hmm. triage and kind of monitor the other patients and then help with recording all this information. And so we could get the patients the best care possible, the quickest care possible. And it really just, um, it was adding another physician in the room with eyes and, and ears to help while I was attending right. the most critical patient, they could be kind of watching the right. other ones there until I could get to them. Yeah, and those services, it's not just, just any other physician, it's an expert, right? It's an, expert. It's, an, it's an emergency room trained physician or it's an, it's an intensivist on the other end, um, which it does really help our rural hospitals a lot. Yep, so, mm. all right. Well, we've got three minutes here and several questions, so let's go very quickly. Uh, Gentleman uh, has a 20-year-old granddaughter who is addicted to heroin and meth, and he's curious if there's anything he can do to try and address and fix this problem. Oh, I'm so sorry that it's a, such a challenging problem to, to have in a loved one. Um, I would say the answer is yes. I mean, there is help out there for people addicted even to drugs like heroin and, mm -hmm. and amphetamines. Um, and the, the first step is getting that person to be willing to accept yeah. treatment. I mean, yep. you can't necessarily force someone to treatment, but if she is willing, there is help out there. Mm -hmm. um, there are addiction services um, in Sioux Falls. If you need to start closer to home, your your local physician or practitioner should, should be able to help link you to that specialty yeah. care. Definitely. So I might add to not uh, get too down on yourself or, or the yes. person uh, if there is a relapse. Um, because those can and do happen, but every time we try and, and try again, the chances are better that 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 uh, sobriety or, or anything, abstinence is going to last this time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, don't give up. And and there is hope, and there's um, there's programs to help. Yeah. In our last two minutes here, I think it's appropriate to end with something from Carter Holm, the son of our. <laughs> Hi, late Carter. Dr. Holm. Hi, Carter. He would like to thank the doctors for stepping up and continuing this mission. And he asked that we talk about the importance of social distancing, mask use, and hygiene, which has been a hot topic here in Brookings it for has. the last few it weeks. Has. So um, we've got about a minute and a half. So <laughs> everyone gets 30 well, seconds. I'm, I'm going to pitch in with that because as everybody can see from my scrubs, I came fresh from our respiratory clinic. Um, COVID-19 is a big problem here in Brookings. We have uh, one of the higher rates in the state. South Dakota is exploding. Uh, social distancing, physical distancing, saying that six feet apart, wearing your mask. I know masks somehow have become a political controversial issue and they really shouldn't. Your mask protects me, my mask protects you. It's really important that we wear our masks, that we wash our hands. Um, you know, I can only do so much to protect myself. I need you to protect me too. Uh, you need me to protect you. Uh, please everybody wear your mask, 
do your physical distancing. Um, just be careful. We're not going to get through this if we don't all pitch in and do it together. Just try to show others with love and compassion. And if someone doesn't have a mask and says it's because they don't have to explain their reason. They might have a good reason and maybe they had a traumatic experience in the past. Um, and uh, but just just try to think of the other person and put yourself in their shoes and, and, and mind the distance. And you don't know if they have a family member with cancer at home that they're trying to protect. Yep. And so let's just think of each other and uh, right. show compassion. Thank you, Andrew. I think that's a perfect way to end. And now for the winner of tonight's Prairie Doc quiz question. How many years of cumulative experience do the four Prairie Docs have among them? Is it A, 44, B, 59, C, 27, or D, 71? The answer is B, 59. We won't tell you who has the most years, <laughs> but uh, we have all contributed to that total. It was Carolyn Ross who answered the question correctly. Thank you, Carolyn, for participating, and a book will be in the mail for you soon. We'll be right back after this. Welcome to your Prairie Doc Library at www.prairiedoc.org. Wherever you live or travel, you and your family can enjoy free and easy access 24 hours a day. Search for a specific topic, browse through the television shows, radio programs, and blog page. You, your family, and friends around the world can learn from physicians and other health professionals answering questions on a variety of medical topics. Visit your Prairie Doc Library today at www.prairiedoc.org. When I was younger, my parents would let me stay up late to watch The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I will never forget when it was announced that he would be leaving the show and Jay Leno would be the new host. I was shocked and upset. How could anyone possibly sit behind that desk and host the show as well as Johnny? My family and I begrudgingly started to watch Jay Leno as he took the stage. The show was not the same. But over time, we came to accept the new host and what he brought to the show that was different and new. Change is difficult for everyone, but change is one of the few constants in this world. The Prairie Doc organization is experiencing our own version of change after the death of our founder, Dr. Richard Holm, in March 2020. None of us will ever replace our Dr. Holm with his wisdom and charisma. However, we bring our own unique strengths and experiences to the program to make them our own while supporting his mission. Dr. Holm embraced change, as was evidenced in many of his writings here and in some of his wise reflections. Change is something we all must face in life, and I have observed that those who embrace change seem to flourish. In his book, Life's Final Season, Dr. Holm wrote, as the seasons turn, we are reminded that to survive in this life, we must change. Not long ago, I attended two funerals in one month and wondered how both surviving 80-year-old men were going to handle the loss of their spouses and all the changes that were about to occur. Referring to the surviving spouses, Dr. Holm wrote, when love is true, the deceased would want the one left alone to see change as an opportunity to continue in another way, to find fresh interest and discover new joy. 
We invite you to join us in respecting Dr. Holmes' wishes as we continue his legacy and accept his challenge to embrace change. His message is clear. I believe the ability to handle change is like working and stretching a muscle. If you don't use it, you will lose it. Stagnation can cause rigidity, weakness, despondency, and death. But movement can cause flexibility, strength, happiness, and life. We hope that you, our loyal audience, will continue to watch the show, listen to the radio program and podcast, and read our newspaper articles. The torch has been passed, and I, along with the other Prairie Docs and our guests, accept it humbly and graciously. We hope you enjoy this new season as we honor Dr. Holm and continue to bring you useful information based on honest science provided in a respectful and compassionate manner. A big thank you to my fellow Prairie Docs for taking on the always fun Ask Anything topics. If you would like more information about this program or to see or hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedot.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. That does it for tonight. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. Caring for children brings their special needs, personalities, and vulnerabilities to the front. Pediatrics, information for all ages. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc. Hi, I'm Ken Bartholomew. I'm a doctor from Pierre, South Dakota. I grew up in Lemon and practiced in Falcon first and then moved up here and I've been in practice 42 years. Well I've had one cancer surgery and I have another one coming up in October. So as part of my rehab I will challenge viewers to donate to the uh, prairiedoc.org for every mile that I do of the Missouri River from the North Dakota border to the Nebraska border, 411 miles. This would be so overwhelming if people would support this and help support the Prairie Dock. Donate 10, 25, 50, even 100 pennies per mile as I kayak the Missouri River from the North Dakota border to the Nebraska border. If you want to join me, you can meet me at the North Dakota border on September 17th. To pledge to Dr. Bartholomew's challenge, go to prairiedoc.org, click on Donate, and give what you can to support the Prairie Doc programs. Thank you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by... Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Dock on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Dock as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, 
Avera Heart Hospital, Fishback Financial Corporation, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications. Thank you.